0: Isn't having an HSA the same thing as having an FSA? Nope. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to learn all about it in today's show.
1: Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Super pumped to have you guys here. We have an awesome show today. We're going to be talking all about health savings accounts. And I mentioned in that little jingle intro, uh, the difference between HSA and FSA, they're not the same thing. And I know if you've been listening the past few shows, That I have talked about each one of these kind of individually, but quick recap, FSAs or flexible spending accounts technically are owned by the employer and have that kind of use it or lose it mentality. When we're looking at HSAs or health savings accounts, this is actually owned by the individual and they have their own sets of contribution limits that basically follow you through employers and is technically your money, not money of your employer. So today we're talking with Shobin Uralil, who's the co-founder and CEO over at Lively, and I'm really excited to have him on. His backstory, just briefly, is that, uh, you know, Georgetown, MIT grad, him and his co-founder, Alex, basically founded Lively out of an experience for both of them that left them not prepared for these out-of-pocket medical expenses with their families, and so when they looked and kind of took a deep dive into the HSA industry, which is been growing rapidly due to, you know, rising healthcare costs and and of course insurance premiums, they realize that the industry is really dominated by banks and other large financial institutions. What usually comes with those is legacy technology. It's old, it's clunky, it's not intuitive. The worst part is, is that when people actually, the members, the people who own the HSA, want to get their money out to pay for costs that they need to you know actually use the money for they can't get it out and if they could they've been nickel and dimed consistently month after month and those fees are just eating away their ability to save for these medical expenses that they need and while i talk about several times on the show and through the planning process on how hsas are triple tax deferred and and it's really beneficial from a planning standpoint to kind of put money in, invest it and try to cover these medical expenses out of pocket. Not everyone is fortunate enough to do that. And so I really liked Lively and what they're doing. A client of mine had asked me to look into them because they were looking about using them. I said, of course, I'd go check them out and see what they're all about. And I figured they were going to be just like everyone else, but they weren't. These guys are the real deal. They're changing the industry. I'm super excited that companies like this exist and are popping up all over the place. This is what technology is allowing us to do is to provide better service for a cheaper cost. And you know, they've got probably some of the lowest costs in the industry. I can't imagine anyone being lower, you know, free to use and $250 a month to invest. So I'm excited to jump in the show. You guys are going to learn a ton about HSAs and all the things that kind of go with it, you know, and all the definitions that go with it. So if you're interested in learning more about Lively, go to livelyme.com slash financial residency. That's L I V E L Y M E dot com slash financial residency. thanks so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to have you here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm also really excited to be here. Well, I get tons of questions for
0: HSAs. Uh, last week's show, we had someone asking about how aggressive they should be inside their HSA in, with respects to investments. I have another couple of questions coming up, some which we'll actually ask during this show. And I thought it was great. I love what you guys are doing at Lively. I'm super excited to hear all the details of it towards the end of the show. But I, I just kind of want to start out from a high level for those that don't know too much about HSAs. Can you just start out and just say kind of like what is an HSA and you know, maybe who qualifies to have one?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so the HSA actually stands for a health savings account. The best way to think about an HSA is it's like the 401k for your healthcare, but a little bit better. Essentially, it's a triple tax advantage savings account that consumers can open up to save for and pay for their future medical expenses. In order to qualify to open up and contribute into an HSA, you have to be covered under a qualifying high-deductible health plan. The definition for a HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan is if you're under individual coverage, meaning that your health plan covers just you, you have to have a minimum deductible of $1,350 for 2018. And if you have family coverage, meaning the high deductible health plan covers you plus at least one other person, that minimum deductible amount for 2018 is $2,700. There are a couple of other criteria in there, including you know, your plan can't have an annual out-of-pocket maximum that's greater than $6,650 for individuals and 13300 for families. And the last criteria is that every single expense, with the exception of preventative care, has to be paid out of the individual's pocket before the health insurance starts kicking in. So no co-pays, no co-insurance. The individual is responsible for the full cost of the service before insurance cost share kicks in. That's perfect. So one of the things
0: you'd you'd said there was that it's triple tax advantaged. And I've said it before on the show a few times, but the HSA is the only account that I know of that is triple tax advantaged, which means that when you put money in, uh, the contribution in, you're getting a tax deduction. The money is allowed to go tax free. And then when you pull it out, the money is allowed to come out tax-free as long as it's for qualified medical expenses, which I know we're, we're going to get into in just a little bit. Could you kind of tell me how can someone open an account, whether it's through their employer or an independent party? Like How, how does that uh, account opening work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the HSA account is actually owned by the individual themselves. Surprisingly, the majority of HSA providers out there today are banks and financial institutions. So if your local bank, for example, a credit union or a bank, you can probably walk into there and open up an HSA account directly with them. There are also a number of third party administrators who offer HSA accounts. You can just go onto their website, potentially give them a call, create an account And essentially, that bank or financial institution or the administrator is acting as the custodian of your HSA funds. So, you know, with Lively, for example, we do everything online. So anybody who would want to open up an HSA account, so long as you're eligible based on what we talked about earlier, you can just come to the website, open up your account. You can then at that point begin contributing into this HSA.
0: Okay. And when they have an employer that's, let's say they're, they qualify based on kind of the guidelines you just set, mm-hmm. if their employer says, Hey, we're actually going to put a uh, dollar for dollar matching into your HSA up to a thousand dollars. Right. Does that need to stay with the employer or can that be transferred to, let's say a bank or lively or, or anyone else that does it? Can they do it away from their employer?
2: Yeah. So they absolutely can. You know, this is one of the best tenants of actually having an HSA, which is once funds go into the HSA account, it's yours, right? And it's yours until you either use that money or you die and you have to pass the account off to a beneficiary. The employer, typically the vast majority of people in this country are getting their health insurance through their employer. As such, the employer is also offering other benefits. So What is more common, um, at least today, is the flexible spending account. That is very different than the health savings account, right? The FSA is actually owned by your employer, and it's use it or lose it funds at the end of every year. Whereas the HSA, this is an account that is owned by you as the individual. And so let's say that your employer is offering you an HSA option. If you don't like the HSA option that your employer is providing to you, you are under no obligation to stay with it. You can actually go to any HSA provider that you like and open up an account because the eligibility is not determined based on what your employer is giving you. It's based on that high deductible health plan coverage that you have. That's
0: great advice there. And a little bit further on that one, I just have a quick question is, With employers, if they decide that they want to match, is that very employer specific if they let you go somewhere or is it kind of like industry standard that if you were to not choose their provider of choice that you could still get a match from
2: them? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting into some advanced topics and strategies that we've seen people take advantage of. And I'll talk a little bit about the specifics for that. So we've seen employers say, well, if you're going to go and open up a different HSA account, just give us your account number and routing number, and we'll direct deposit funds into that HSA provider. Mm. That's kind of one option that we've seen. What other people do is they create multiple HSA accounts. So a little known fact is that there's no requirement that you need to have just one HSA account you can actually open up as many as you want. The only criteria that the IRS looks at is you have an annual maximum contribution limit on a calendar year basis, right? Or a tax year basis. Mm -hmm. So for 2018, if you have individual coverage, then the max you can contribute is $3,450. If you have family coverage, that maximum is $6,900, So what people do is they say, okay, my employer has given me this HSA account. I'm going to keep it open so that the employer continues making their employer contributions into that account. And once a year, I'm going to roll over those funds into this other HSA account that I like better. And so what the IRS allows you to do from a transfer perspective is because it's portable and it is your money, you have the discretion to be able to do a non-taxable rollover once every 365 days from one provider to another. There's another way to actually transfer your funds as well, and that is what's called a trustee to trustee transfer. There's no limit on how many times you can do this, But that transfer typically happens from custodian to custodian. For example, if you're using Lively and you're working with another uh, HSA provider and you want to do a trustee-to-trustee transfer, you would tell us at Lively that you want to do this transfer. We'll fill out the paperwork on your behalf and we'll send it directly to that other provider and we handle the transfer process all behind the scenes. And that process you can do as often as you'd like. So just going back to the employer, you know, people do keep the employer provided HSA and simply open up another account and just on some periodic basis are moving funds over to their HSA provider of choice. So they're not missing out on the employer match itself.
0: Uh, That was a phenomenal answer. And just for those listening Kind of think of this almost like as uh as your maybe two traditional IRAs that you had open one at you know let's say Fidelity and one at TD Ameritrade, you can put four thousand dollars into your one at TD Ameritrade and fifteen hundred dollars into the one at at the other place and conjointly like your total contribution is fifty five hundred which is all that the IRS cares about. I know that Shobin was kind of saying it a little bit differently with HSAs, but it's along the same principles. And, and I'm assuming that the HSA industry and, and how things are transferred is pretty archaic because it's just now starting to gain some traction. Obviously, companies like Lively are, are starting to come out and, and really do some great work there. Shobin, I'd like to, to switch it over just real quick. So you mentioned the contribution limits, and I had hinted at qualified medical expenses. Can you kind of touch on what a qualified medical expense is and, and kind of help the listeners out with what would actually be valid or, or not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So qualified medical expenses, this is actually a definition that is described by the IRS to get a little technical. So it's really described in section 213 D of basically the IRS tax code. And there's a publication 502 that lists the qualified medical expenses. Now, these are essentially medical expenses that you can use your HSA funds for. And if you do so, those funds remain tax free for you. They kind of fall into three buckets. One is a clearly qualified medical expense something like that, for example, might be a doctor visit or something that would be counted towards your deductible on your health insurance. Whereas another expense, which is clearly not qualified, could be teeth whitening, for example, some, you know, things that are not medically needed, Mm -hmm. uh, or things that are cosmetic would fall into that category. Then you have a kind of a long list of things that are considered to be a gray area, right? And a great example of that might be a massage. So a massage would be considered a qualified medical expense if you had a letter of medical necessity from your physician saying that you have chronic back pains. And as a result of that, you need to have massages provided to you to help that long-term pain itself. So similar to a massage, there are there's a really long list of things that are considered that gray area. And the simple way to think about it is if you get a letter of medical necessity or a prescription from a physician saying that the expense is needed because of some medical condition that you have, then it's most likely that that expense would be a qualified medical expense.
0: What about these like, I know we talked a little bit here about the gray area and obviously what is approved. What about when stuff isn't approved? and you want to pull money out, what are kind of the penalties associated with that?
2: Yeah, and Ryan, you used a word there saying approved, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe before I answer that question, it, this is an important point worth spending a second on. When it comes to an approval process, the responsibility for spending your money on qualified medical expenses actually falls on to the individual themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So the HSA administrator, your employer... Nobody is actually adjudicating your claim or looking at the eligibility of that expense itself. The risk that every individual takes is in the event that the IRS would ever audit you and the HSA comes into that audit, you have to prove to the IRS that the expense you made was a qualified medical expense. So that's kind of just one tangent that I just wanted to be sure that was clear. No,
0: I appreciate that. That's uh, great insight.
2: So going back to your question about what happens if you use your HSA funds for something that isn't qualified. Well, today, before you turn 65 years old, if you use your HSA dollars on something that is not a qualified medical expense, you'll pay ordinary income taxes on that distributed amount plus a 20% penalty. So it operates kind of similar to an IRA and 401k, although the penalty is a little bit steeper than I believe it is in, in those industries. But the nice thing about the HSA is, once you turn 65 years old, the penalty actually goes away. So you can start taking distributions out of your HSA, post 65, and just pay ordinary income taxes on that amount. So, really, it starts looking like a different form of an IRA with an extra option. So, if you use it you know, at any point in the future for qualified medical expenses, it will maintain those distributions as being tax-free. But worst case scenario, it actually operates like an IRA.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds a lot like a traditional IRA where you get the The benefit, assuming that you're not over the income threshold, uh, you would get the benefit like a a traditional IRA, it grows tax-free and then comes out and you pay the tax on it once you're age 65.
2: That's right. And one thing worth noting is unlike a 401k or IRA where you have an RMD, a required minimum distribution, there is no concept of that with the HSA. So, you know, we're all kind of living longer and potentially working a little bit longer as well. So when I'm 70 or 70 and a half and I feel as though I still want to put my money to work or invest it or just leave it in the HSA, there's no requirement that I have to begin taking distributions from it. Uh, It's a subtle but important point, uh, especially for those people who might be at that age bracket. That's an extremely important
0: point and because the majority of listeners are physicians or married to physicians, this is something that when they they are generally going to be accumulators, they're going to have a high net worth and when they come out and uh, you know they're going to find out with some proper planning that they are going to have RMDs and have to pay tax on that and not having to do that in an HSA is pretty huge. One of the things that um, I encourage is is when people fully fund their HSAs and then cover the medical expenses from their general savings and salary and and normal everyday expenses and let basically those funds accumulate tax-free and grow and then can pull those out, you know, for medical expenses in retirement, because we all know when we get older we're gonna have more expenses. I actually have a an, another little question for you. Can I save essentially receipts now and kind of, you know, say I'm paying for different things out of pocket now. Can I pull that money out in 10 years or 20 years and cover and reimburse myself for maybe expenses that I had today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of a hidden gem of the HSA and another kind of advanced strategy for how to utilize it. If you're in the fortunate position to be able to pay for these ongoing medical expenses with money that is not your... HSA, you can just continue letting your money either earn interest, invest it over a long period of time, and as you're saving these receipts, you're essentially accumulating a balance that you can reimburse yourself for at some point in the future, and all of that would be considered tax-free. So yes, you can absolutely do that, Ryan. I and you know, truth be told, we do see a number of people. Who use the HSA in this kind of advanced way?
0: Mm-hmm. And it's commonly kind of referred to as a stealth IRA. I mean, it it really. I mean, we've characterized basically a blend between traditional and Roth depending on how you utilize it. But, you know, there's a lot of big benefits. You know, not everyone is a perfect candidate, if you will, to have an HSA. Like uh, my family, we have a lot of medical expenses and to do a high deductible plan doesn't make sense for us. But if you're the type of family that, you know, typically has low medical expenses and, you know, can basically become or your employer offers um, a high deductible uh, health plan and you can have an HSA, this is an awesome strategy For building more long-term wealth, that as we grow older, we're all going to have medical expenses. But um, this is just another planning tool, or you know, an arrow in the in the quiver kind of thing that um, can really help you. You know, plan for for your future. I'm curious, what happens if you die and you have an HSA and you've got, let's say, uh, you know, a ton of funds in there? You've been using it as a planning tool, and you got a hundred thousand in there. Where do your funds go? How do they get distributed? Can you talk me through that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the HSA, it operates like any other type of retirement or bank account in that you have the ability to designate a beneficiary, right? The beneficiary falls into three broad buckets. So if your beneficiary is your spouse and your spouse survives you, then the HSA will get transferred to your spouse. And your spouse maintains the same tax advantages of the HSA that you had. So there's no tax or penalty that he or she would have to pay at that time. Mm. If your beneficiary is anyone other than your spouse, what essentially happens is that that person, so the funds will move over to them, but they will have to pay taxes on the fair market value of those funds at that time. However, Any eligible expenses that you had over the course of the last year, they can dip into the HSA to pay for those expenses, and that would not be considered taxable. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece is on the beneficiary side. If your beneficiary is a trust, then the HSA goes into the value of the trust as part of the final tax return itself. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, if you don't designate a beneficiary then it will automatically just go to your spouse. Otherwise, it'll go to a trust if you happen.
0: Oh, great. Okay, so yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I kind of knew generally where this was going. But you know, I look at the HSA kind of marketplace and and I'm doing it from an outsider, right? As just a, a financial planner. I see it and it's like, And especially because I don't have one, I'm not kind of having to live through it, but I I help clients all the time through this stuff. And I feel like everyone just gets nickel and dimed to death inside of the HSA. And it's just a pain in the butt to get money out for different needs if they actually needed it. Now, while I tell people from a planning perspective, don't use it, sometimes it's required, right? If they're still in residency or, and you know, have some expenses or have just left training and still haven't accumulated a ton of assets. So, can you kind of just talk to me a little bit about the, the the kind of current marketplace that's kind of going on? And and then I know that a client actually had told me about Lively and that's how we ended up speaking here. And and I got so excited because you guys are so different. So tell me just a little bit about the marketplace and then give me a couple minutes uh, on Lively and how it's different.
2: Yeah. So this is kind of near and dear to my heart because what you talked about is one of the core reasons why we started the company so you know maybe I can tell you a little bit about how how the company got started and that will dovetail into the marketplace itself you know I have a co-founder his name is Alex we're longtime friends he and I were talking one day and we were just commiserating over a couple of personal experiences that we had with out-of-pocket medical expenses And we just knew that there was a better way to have been prepared for that kind of situation. And that's when we kind of came across the HSA itself. As we started digging into the HSA, we saw how powerful of a savings vehicle it was to have really accumulated some money to be able to afford those situations better. But as we started digging into it, to our surprise, it was an industry that was dominated by banks and other financial institutions. With a handful of administrators who were operating like those financial institutions. So we saw that there was this increasing demand for HSAs because of rising healthcare costs and insurance premiums. So more and more people were moving on to a high deductible health plan. And as that happens, obviously, you have the ability to open up the HSA. So we talked to a few hundred people uh, and their feedback to us fell into about three different categories. The first one was the product experience is pretty clunky, right? And, and if you think about a bank and the infrastructure and the technology that banks are working with, it's pretty old, right? So there, there was really no surprise why people have that kind of experience, especially when we live in a day and age where people have their consumer experience for what they interact with elsewhere is just so far ahead of what banks are doing. So that was kind of number one. Number two was because it was the bank, they felt as though they were getting nickeled and dimed and not so much about the monthly maintenance fees to have the account, but all of the other hidden fees that were just not really told to the individual when they set up the account. So, for example, you know, a lot of HSA providers offer you a debit card. However, when you swipe that debit card, there is a fee. If you want to call your provider for uh, some kind of research, there's a fee. If you accidentally made a contribution that you want to fix, there's a fee. And the list just kept going and going. And the last piece was and the part that kind of hit home for us, which was, I have a medical expense. I don't have a lot of money and I need this money to pay for that medical expense. So whenever people needed to get their money out the most, they could never do so. And that was really painful for for us to hear. Right, So we've been in business for about a year now. Our first HSA account was opened in March of 2017. And I can't tell you the countless number of calls that we have received for people just thanking us for being around because of all of the negative personal experiences they have had, trying to access the money that they are saving for their healthcare expenses. So we said, we think we can do this differently. And really, we focus on the end consumer experience and we don't nickel and dime our customers at all, right? And actually, our account is a free account for individuals. There are only two fees that any individual account holder can ever expect to pay with Lively. And one is, if you decide to invest your funds, we are integrated with TD Ameritrade's self-directed brokerage platform. You pay a flat fee of $2.50 per month, and you get access to investment capabilities. And the other fee is if you order more than three debit cards, each card thereafter is $5 a piece. But 99% of our users never hit that threshold. And that's it. We are big believers in transparency. So on our website, if you go to the pricing page, you will see a fee schedule that is largely filled out with zeros. We want to be helpful to you. We don't want you to struggle to try and access the money, especially when you need it most.
0: Yeah, I love it. And that's how when I went, when one of my clients had told me to go check you guys out, I went over and I I look at all the fee structure and it's zero, 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 zero. And then like 250. And I'm like, how is, is that it for real? Like, and that's when I use the little button to kind of chat with you guys. And sure enough, at, you know, nine o'clock on a, what, Thursday, you're sitting here talking back to me. And, you know, we're going through and to find that you guys sit on TD, and that you guys are really changing how the industry you're adding technology in this really antiquated thing. And then it's so transparent. You know, I, I've built my whole business on transparency, you know, I, in an industry that's built all on assets under management, I've I've really taken it back and said, you know what, I'm just going to charge a flat fee. I'm not going to do this AUM thing that everyone else is doing and just make it really transparent for people. And the idea that, that there's other companies out there that are doing this in different industries gets me really excited. And that's why I was like, I know I got to I gotta get you on the show. We've got to have you here talking all about HSAs and kind of give a little pitch about Lively because I just love when firms are doing the right thing and they're providing a really good service.
1: And now it's time for the Curbside Consult.
0: If someone has an HSA and they leave their employer, what ends up happening to that HSA? Especially if, let's say, that new employer doesn't have a high deductible health plan, what happens to their HSA and can they keep contributing to it or not?
2: You know, one of the things I mentioned earlier is that the HSA is your account and it's your funds. It is not owned by your employer. What traditionally happens, and one thing where Lively is very, very different, is if you get that HSA from your employer and then you leave that employer for any reason whatsoever, because the HSA comes with you, The employer was most likely paying the fee for you to have that HSA account with whoever the provider is. That fee that the employer was paying actually will get transferred to you. So the warning I have for people who are in this situation is make sure you understand what fees you are being charged. The reason why this is so different with Lively is, again, out of transparency, one thing that we do is we charge employers $3.50 per month for every employee who's enrolled in the HSA with us. However, when that employee leaves, we automatically convert that account to being an individual account. So we make sure that that fee does not go with you, right? So there are countless times where we've heard people who say, oh, I didn't know that my HSA Can come along with me. I left my employer six months ago. I logged into the account for the first time and I've been hit with six months worth of fees, which is crazy to us. That's just one thing to keep in mind. If you go to an employer who has a high deductible health plan, you actually can continue contributing into the HSA. HSA eligibility and the ability to contribute into one is only determined based on your health plan coverage at any point in time. So if you leave one employer and go to another, so long as, even if they're different health insurance providers, so long as they are two HSA-eligible health plans, you can continue your contributions into the HSA itself. If you move off of a high-deductible health plan, you still maintain the HSA and the funds that are in there, but you can no longer contribute into the HSA. But you can still use those funds towards the qualified medical expenses that you have thereafter.
0: Great answer. You know, thank you again so much for being on the show, Shobin. It's amazing to see a company that's doing the right thing and has such a great product out there. And I hope all the listeners ended up being able to understand a lot more about what HSAs are and how they work and, you know, what all these kind of little, you know, terminology things mean. So I think we dissected a lot of that. And, you know, I really appreciate you being on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show. Ryan, I just want to say kudos to you for what you're doing. My sister is a physician, and I know firsthand the value that you're providing to your audience. So thank you for the opportunity for me to speak here.
0: Oh, Of course, and I appreciate the, the kind words. And if you guys want to check out Lively, go to livelyme.com slash financial residency. That's L-I-V-E-L-Y. Me.com slash financial residency and check out what they have to go. And uh, thank you again so much for being on the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks so much again, Chauvin, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I love what you guys are doing. And I'm happy to see that technology is being applied to more antiquated industries and really helping out the masses. And I hope everyone listening was able to take all of the, the knowledge bombs that Shobin was giving us. And I hope that you understand a significant more about HSAs and how they work and operate than before the show started. March is all about student loans. So next week we are going to be participating in the student loan debt movement, which is being spearheaded by the CollegeInvestor.com, and uh, we also will be having Robert Farrington, the man behind the website, the CollegeInvestor.com, on the show in a few weeks, which we're I'm really excited about. But March is all about student debt. So excited! Hope you guys have a great week. And if you're looking to work with an expert, I'm still taking clients on at my fee-only financial planning firm, Physician Wealth Services. Flat fee only, no AUM, and I only work with physicians and their families all across the country. So if you're interested in getting together, I'd love to meet with you at physicianwealthservices.com. Talk to you soon.
1: Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode is ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to FinancialResidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's FinancialResidency.com.